Welcome to With That Being Said, a podcast on life, love, and everything in between. I'm so glad you've decided to join the conversation. Hi, I'm Esther Boykin. And I'm Erica Turner. And with that being said, we are alone alone in the burbs. So we've been, we just have a really interesting conversation with one of my favorite new therapist friends is coming on today who does all kinds of fun stuff in the city and in the suburbs. Yes. I think we should jump right in because she did us the huge favor of waking up crazy early to join us today. <laughs> yeah, that was nice of her because she's on California time. Yeah, yeah, she is. Here. Not quite as early for us. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, I think let's have today's guest talk, explain to all of us all the things she does and, and go from there. Sounds good. So I'm super excited for today's guest, Tracy Rubel. Uh, Tracy, how are you? I'm so glad you're here. I am really good. And I appreciate you and Erica being so generous with your time. (laughs) Thanks for having me. (laughs) Thanks for coming on. Yeah. Yeah. So everyone who's listened to at least one episode knows I always like to start with, give us the 30 second bio. Who are you? What do you do? How did you get to this point? You know, the the highlight reel, if you will. Yep. Well, so my name is Tracy Rubel. I am a licensed therapist. I work in San Francisco in the downtown financial district. And years ago, I had this crazy idea that I wanted to start writing with other therapists. So I started something that was just a blog that's now turned into a magazine that's now turned into a psychotherapy clinic that's now turned into a a national community listening project. And we put together all kinds of social activism projects now. And that's kind of every, every profit earning dollar that our clinic makes, we flip into some kind of community action project. The clinic's called Psyched in San Francisco. Psyched, yes. Uh, (laughs) And then uh, the Community Listening Project, which you know very well, Esther, because you're now one of our most active city (laughs) leaders, um, is called Sidewalk Talk. So that's the high level on me. That's my elevator pitch. I like it. And I, I love the sort of blog turned into magazine turned into you know therapy practice turned into like everything sort of evolves there's this you do so many things that all of which I love by the way but I there is sort of this evolutionary relationship like you, you don't quite let them go but they evolve into these other like branches which I think is super exciting and and I also just like you know the name psyched because I think that's fun <laughs> like get psyched about therapy yeah, it's that's 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 the mission. That's actually, you know, that's actually what when I first started psyched, the, the the sort of turning and yearning in my bones was how could I have gotten my own folks to go to therapy? You know, I came from a, a family where there were multiple divorces, so hence I'm of course a couples therapist specialist now because <laughs> I came from a childhood with six divorces. So I've been doing couples therapy since I was four. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's funny but, how that happens, right? Y- yeah. So. I really want to make psychotherapy something that's interesting for everybody. And I think this idea that therapists are these really strange people that are in these dark offices and nobody knows who they are. I want to completely strip that away. I also want to figure out a way to make it more easy to pay for, for people that can't afford it. So it's not just for rich people, because I do really believe that psychotherapy is kind of a rite of passage into adulthood. 
And if we don't think about it as something for people that are sick or mentally ill, we all get mentally ill. Mentally, mental illness is like catching a flu. We all catch flus. And you go to a doctor when you need to get antibiotics for a strep throat. And sometimes we catch a, a version of a mental strep throat. And so I think if we all do a, a decent amount of self-reflection in our life, we probably do a better job as community members as well. So that's kind of, that's the thing that gets me really passionate. I really, I really want us all to feel a, a dedication and commitment to our community and the well-being of other people. And I think that, I mean, that passion, I think, comes across in everything that you do, which is, in all fairness, probably... It's how I got involved with Sidewalk Talk. It's how you and I have connected is I think there's that shared, I mean, obviously that's part of what we're trying to do here, right? With that With that being said, let's talk about this stuff. Let's make the private sort of secret hidden world of therapy and frankly, just self-reflection and self-development. Let's make that a little bit more public. Let's talk about how we can all benefit from that experience of just being a little bit more thoughtful. And I like the idea that it's in some ways a rite of passage, part of your movement into adulthood, or maybe it's healthy adulthood. Yeah, healthy. Well, tell me a little bit about, tell me, even though I know some of this, because as you said, you know, I've been, I've gotten really involved in Sidewalk Talk, but I'm curious just to tell the story about how it started and a little bit about, you know, sort of the, those first moments of, well, let's try this thing that, you know. <laughs> well, there are any many inputs and uh, how political do you want me to get here? <laughs> uh, so uh, my undergraduate degree was in political science. So I'm, I'm very interested in politics. Uh, so perfect for your audience, right? And yeah. I also did, I also did used to live in DC. It started really from, uh, let's see what it started, the, the genesis started eight years ago, there were public, public policies coming out at the time that were really, and I'm not going to name them because I don't want to sort of share too much about my politics. Although if you read Psyched, you're pro- it's probably not going to be totally unclear. And in fact, we do webinars on how to talk responsibly about politics. It's something that's I have lots of friends from the very opposite political persuasion. And I really advocate for arguing responsibly because I think that makes a healthy democracy when people feel like they can talk about politics non-defensively. But at the time, um, there were some policies coming out um, that were deeply impacting my community. There were some policies coming out that were um, anti-gay, sort of preventing education for, uh, you know, sex education in schools, lots of things that sort of stirred me. I thought, wow, you know, what's so hard to talk about this? And I kind of let it go, but it really sat on my heart. And then we had this just increase in mass violence that was going on in our culture. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't take it. And I thought, I, I, I have to do something, but I want to do something where it's not about me and I'm not in the way. You know, it's not about look at me and how great I am for what I'm doing. And gee, I feel so bad. So here's this thing that I'm going to do to, to uh, make me feel less guilty as a citizen. What what could I do that would sort of touch on all these things? And really the tipping point was when I watched that documentary on Maria Abramovich's piece. Marina Abramovich did um, The Artist is Present at the Met in New York City, where she set up two chairs and a table and she invited people to sit across from her and just sit in a state of presence and make eye contact with her. 
Mm. And she originally didn't expect, she, she wondered, would anyone even show up? But the actual show was sold out and they had lines around the block in New York City. That really, that was the, the moment, that's it. That's what I want to do. And so I put it out there to the psyched writers community. I said, hey, I, I really want to do this thing. And I want to put my therapist chair right out front on Market Street here in San Francisco. Does anyone want to do it with me? And the reactions were interesting. People thought I was nuts. They're like, are you kidding me? On the street in an urban setting? But thank goodness, uh, Lily Sloan, who's probably as much of a blank disturber as me um, in her (laughs) own way, said, I'll do it with you. And so we really and she's very organized. So I appreciated having her as a collaborator. And we spent nine months thinking it through, finding out, gosh, can we even is it even legal to do something like this? Is it ethical as a therapist to do something like this? In nine months' time, in May of 2015, we had 28 therapists put chairs up on San Francisco city streets um, in 13 locations, and wow. Sidewalk Talk was born. And it was one of the most moving, moving experiences of my life. If I, figure, if I could figure out how to make a living doing Sidewalk Talk full-time, I, I quite literally would stop being a therapist and do it full-time. That says a lot in terms of how much I love the project, and we're going to be going out impromptu today in downtown in actually in the, the Castro district in San Francisco in solidarity for um, the folks in Orlando and in solidarity for our very vibrant LGBTQ community in San Francisco. Tracy, I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit more about that. You just said that, you know, if you could sort of make your living doing sidewalk talk full time, you would. And obviously sidewalk talk is not therapy. So I'm just curious about how you would sort of define or maybe define is not the right word, but sort of describe your own experience doing the sidewalk talk work as, a, as sort of compared to doing therapy. That's a good question, Erica. You know, I think one of the places where it's, it could be easy to, to diminish therapy, and I, that's not sidewalk talk's intention, therapy is so much more than listening. And, and you both are therapists and you know this, right? Right. So the way the way I make the distinction, though, is when I'm sitting out at Sidewalk Talk, first of all, there's an intention that I'm having to listen in a particular way that's a little bit unique to Sidewalk Talk, which is I'm fully and completely, you know, Brene Brown has this quote that I love. She said, compassion is something that happens among equals. Okay. And when I'm sitting out at Sidewalk Talk, I am not actually in my therapist role. I use a lot of my training of really good listening skills as a therapist, but let's face it. When we are therapists, we are not equals in that room because we are the one getting paid and we are inviting a certain kind of relationship with that client because they're entering our space, our office. And so as much as we might be um, for those that are listening, there's a form of psychotherapy called feminist psychotherapy that's very interested in sharing power in the room. But no matter how hard you try, the power dynamic is still there. Mm-hmm. The thing that I love about Sidewalk Talk is that I have less power sitting out there on the street. I am really just a community member. And I actually really enjoy that because what happens for me is I feel as much a sense of belonging 
when I am doing the listening out there on the street, as the talker feels a sense of belonging being listened to. And that feels really special to me. So it's not, you know, Eric, I have to be honest, it's not totally selfless because I do get something out of it. You know, it really nurtures and nourishes something in my own heart around my longing to belong. Mm -hmm. And I own that. And that's what I love about it. But that is the distinction to me is the power dynamic. Right. Well, and there's definitely, you know, with, with therapy, there is an expectation that we are going to, you know, make some sort of movement, right? Like something is going to get better or something is going to get resolved or something is going to get understood. And that's not really necessarily a part of sidewalk talk. Yeah. I think that's an, a, another really great distinction that we're not necessarily even looking to resolve anything. Right. It, it feels much more about sort of the community element and the feeling of everyone sort of being heard and everyone having a space where they are accepted and, and not judged and sort of able to, you know, be present with another human being, which is so rare, especially in urban environments, especially walking down the street, you know, in DC or San Francisco, you're not typically going to be present with another human being at any point in your journey, because that's not how cities function. And I think what's been really having done this now, you know, several times is what, what always strikes me is the very thing that I often talk yeah. about being helpful in therapy um, beyond all of the training and the techniques and all of the other stuff that's really important um, to that work is there has to first sort of be this core relationship. And it, it's a very different relationship um, in sidewalk talk, but I do, it's interesting to me how the intention is not to to advise or resolve or to fix for people, but that in being present, we create a different kind of relationship and that sense of connection to other people, that sense of shared humanity, how just how impactful that is for, for everyone involved. You know, I, I feel like you do, Tracy, in that it's it's not entirely selfless. There's something that is also really fulfilling for me, being the person there to listen and to have that experience with with somebody else who, you know, could walk past me 20 times in a day and we would have never spoken or noticed each other or realized that there was any kind of commonality. Yeah. So I think the point that you're bringing up in what you just said, people that I might not have come in contact with, this is the other piece, right? So we walk down the streets, we sit in cars, we don't, we put our earbuds in and we are not coming in contact with people different than us very often anymore because we can operate in these little bubbles. And I think about how compassion spreads and compassion spreads through first person interactions with people that are actually different. I mean, compassion for people that are different than us spreads through first person interactions with people that are different than us. Yet we're, we're having fewer and fewer places to have those kinds of interactions. Yeah. So there's something kind of counterculture that I'm hoping sidewalk talk produces, which is, is and from a very sneaky bottom up kind of way, <laughs> Um, that this kind of idea of compassion spreads accidentally because we're putting people back in touch with people in the community that they might never come in contact with. 
it's it's been a really delightful for me the side product so i i have all kinds of very different friends now um because what's happened for me is i've done sidewalk talk enough in san francisco that i now i say hi to people that i've listened to before there's one one older um indian gentleman that he works near near my office and every time we see each other now i'm like ah and we give each other a big hug right this isn't somebody that i would have come in contact with before yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to get your take on this because I I feel like, and Erica, you can kind of comment on this too, because you may have some thoughts just because we're both in the same area. I've had an interesting experience doing sidewalk talk in the suburbs of DC. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Say more. I'd love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> because what, and it really, I, I've noticed it and I've kind of paid attention to it at, at several of them, but just recent, just this weekend, it really sort of crystallized in a conversation with somebody who's passing by. And it, I realized that this conversation had happened repeatedly. And it was, first, people are skeptical. You know, they kind of look, they read this, and they're not, they don't want you to talk to them. If you, if you speak, they sort of like smile awkwardly and hurry away. But eventually people ask, you know, like, oh, what are you doing? And so I explained what Sidewalk Talk is all about. And the response often is, wow, that's really great. But I already have somebody, right? Like I already have a friend or a husband or a somebody and I don't need anyone else to talk to, but that's good that you're offering this to other people. And it, it just, for me, I don't know, it seems like to highlight this, we let a few people in our bubble, but we still kind of operate in this very insular way. And the idea of just sitting down and talking to somebody and frankly, in the suburbs, somebody who probably has a bit more in common. I, I live in the suburbs, you know, a lot of the times I'm places that are near my home, my kids' school, that kind of thing. And yet, so even the people who we do come into contact with, that other kind of genuine or more authentic listening and talking, it feels like people are a little bit, I don't, I don't know if afraid's the right word, but maybe it is. But it's just been very interesting in comparison to downtown DC or even, you know, some of what you've shared with me about doing it in San Francisco, where it feels like people seem to be a little bit more open. And I don't know if it's just that while you don't talk to people, you still see different people or what that experience is. But it's been, yeah, yeah, it's just, I don't know what to make of it. It's been a little bit bewildering to me, actually. <laughs> Oh, girl, we could have a conversation about this. <laughs> uh, I mean, my, I, my gut instinct, and this is not. Tell me, tell me, Erica, I want to hear. <laughs> Please. This is not, I, I know, gosh, I can just see some people getting up in arms in this. But, I mean, isn't that why you move to the burbs so you don't have to talk to other people? <laughs> isn't that the whole point? I, I think mean, this podcast is going to be called The Burbs. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. But I think that that's, and it's funny because if you had asked me before I moved out to the suburbs, I would have said I wanted to move out there for community, for more connection, because I wanted my kids to be able to play with the neighbor kids. And I wanted to be, you know, connected with a school environment and HOAs and PTAs and I think if you had asked me, I would have said it was for more community, more connection. But I think you're right. But, you know, it's, it's Erica, I like, think, 
Sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. I was just saying, I think you're, you've now sort of made me look back and reflect on how I actually live in the burbs. Well, and I think the difference is between, so I, I live in this city. I have to state my bias up front. <laughs> you know, I think the difference is that the suburbs are all about very structured connections, which is great. I don't have anything against structured connections at all, but I think the city is more about sort of the random happenstance, you end up stuck on a train together. Um, you know, there's all kinds of, I think the way that you sort of function in those environments often, you know, especially in the city because of, you know, you're using public transportation or if you're me, you're walking from your parking spot because I like to drive, but I'm walking 30 minutes from my car or something. You know, you're running into people. There's not... I sort of drive to my destination and I get there and I park right outside of it and I'm only going to see people that I know or I expect to know. So I, I just think that the way they're sort of set up fosters that the way the city is set up fosters more random connection as opposed to more structured connection. Does that make sense? Does that seem? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so inside my, my body right now, I've, I feel like my stomach is smiling as you're talking. <laughs> So I, I gotta I gotta tell you, I live in the burbs too, and I not only the burbs, but I live in a small town of ten thousand people just outside of San Francisco. And I just wrote an article about this that went live two days ago on this very topic of small town versus urban. So I think it's hilarious that we're that somehow we wandered into this topic, Esther and Erica. <laughs> And here's the distinction that I've made. And I, I have had some real heartache being in the suburbs that I, I didn't predict. When I first moved to the small town, I moved here because I surf and I wanted to be near the ocean. And I thought this was the best place since sliced bread until I had children. And I felt so incredibly stifled by the lack of diversity in every sense of the word. And so I, I have been... Well, I say this in the article, so I'll say it out loud to you. I have been in a kind of a heated state of anger about it for about five years. And it's been sort of the biggest piece of my own personal therapy for the last five years. And I feel like only recently something has lifted for me around this that I've made sense of that has helped me find my way back to some compassion for what's going on here and this idea of urban dwellers versus suburban dwellers. And that is... And then you guys will both immediately imagine why I struggle here because you you know all these crazy projects I do. I think that what urban centers offer us is a freedom of expression. And I I think, and a freedom of, of employment, freedom of who we can be. You know, it's part of why we're going out to the Castro today because for me, as a colleague of mine said, what the LGBTQ community represents for me is freedom. You know, these are people that um, loved in spite of being oppressed and created the space for so many of us to feel freedom, right? Um, I feel like the suburbs, on the other hand, value safety more and the safety of lower diversity, the safety of sameness. And for me, I don't actually take safety from sameness. I feel safer when I feel free. And so the kind of social norms that are kind are sort of forward inside of a suburban area 
um, the norms on women around how they mother and how they show up with their partners, I feel it more in a suburban area, whereas I feel like I could be any kind of woman I want to be when I'm walking down the streets of San Francisco. So what does this all mean? I don't know the solution except for to have some compassion for the deep longing some people have for safety in their right, community. Yeah, I don't. I don't think either of those stances are problematic in and of themselves necessarily, but it all comes down to which do you value more? I mean, I think you have to know that whichever environment you choose to live in, you are, you know, there are trade-offs that if you choose to live in the city that you are, you know, you might be giving up your sense of maybe safety, but also just routine and expectation. I feel like there's a bit more sort of when I'm in the suburbs, I know what's going to happen more. Um, And so if that's very comforting to you, then you give that up by living in the city. But, you know, obviously living in the suburbs, you're often giving up diversity, you know, in in lots of different ways. And if you know what's going to happen, it also means that you're expected to behave a certain way. (laughs) It's been painful. But I think that... uh... Sidewalk talk. Well, and it's it's interesting because I also just finished writing an article about this um, oh, and talked about the in fact the two things you both are talking about the idea of structure that that is some of what I think I think we crave that in the suburbs and at the very least I think it becomes part of what is expected is that there is sort of there's a context for nearly everything we do the conversations we have sort of are structured based on how I know you and where I meet you and that kind of thing. And that there is some sense of safety in that or some sense of comfort in that, but that we, there, there is sort of this danger in there that in the process we give up, not just diversity and, and some of what we're talking about that you get in living in a city, but also I think it makes it easy for us to become really comfortable not allowing ourselves to be vulnerable and not in like sort of big dramatic (laughs) therapeutic ways, but just there's a little vulnerability in chatting up the person who's standing behind you in line at Starbucks or smiling at, you know, a couple of old guys playing chess on the street or whatever. And just sort of reaching out to the people around you outside your phone, outside the people you know and who are familiar. And I think the suburbs can lend themselves. And it's not that everyone who lives here does this, but I think it does lend itself to a false sense of connection. We feel connected because we all show up at the community picnic, but am I really interested in who you are and what your experience is and, and sharing with you some of my own personal thoughts and feelings. And so it's just been a very interesting thing for me to sort of look at the different kinds of relationships that we're able to foster outside of like our most inner circle. Yeah. And while we're, we're being divisive. um, (laughs) 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 While while we're doing that. While we're on this, this train. (laughs) I have to say. I'm just going to sit back and be healed from this conversation and listen. I love it. Thank you. Well, and I don't know, Tracy, I I will say uh, this might be divisive. I think it is going to be divisive among the three of us. I mean, I'm a very 
despite being a therapist and despite being pretty active socially, I would, I would definitely describe myself as, as an introvert. Like I definitely get my energy from being alone and that's sort of how I recharge and that sort of thing. So I don't necessarily agree with the notion that I need to be open or present sort of continually as I move throughout my life. Like in some ways I'm better suited to the suburbs because I'm not sort of about like I, when I talk to my clients about like being empathetic with their partners, I always say like empathy takes work. Like if you're doing it right, a little bit of what this other person is feeling should rub off on you. You shouldn't be unaffected by particularly your partner. If they're expressing something difficult or hard, like if you're doing it right, you should feel a little bit of that. And so I definitely am not, I sort of create spaces for myself where I say, okay, in this space, I'm going to be open and present, but I would not say that that's how I walk around or would even want to walk around like that, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh-oh. That makes, you know what? And as you're saying it, I think I'm still sort of working it through in my head, but I think maybe it is in fact the piece about being able to make spaces for that. I don't know where that space is in the suburbs. Like I feel like in, I, I get, I think the city could be incredibly overwhelming and I, it, and I'm sure it's not quite cut so dramatically on like suburban versus urban living. Sure. But I do think as I sort of reflect on the difference when I'm, particularly when I'm doing sidewalk talk, I don't know that the people who pass by or who say, no, I don't need that have as many opportunities to create that space in their suburban life as somebody else who passes by that may, that lives in a community that is more diverse. And I think in, and in some ways just fosters a different kind of community connection, not that you have to be open to it 24 hours a day, but that it exists in a more organic way where I think it's easy in a community that, and maybe it has less to do with urban and suburban and more to do with that, the concept of sameness and that lack of diversity that there isn't the, it's so easy to make the assumption that I know all there is to know about you because you're just like me. And if you're not just like me, I kind of don't want to know mm-hmm. when the majority of people around you feel the same, even though we're not. I think that there's something about having the opportunity to create that space. And I'll say, you know, I don't know that that's true everywhere. And I'd be interested to know, you know, Tracy, how you perceive it. But I can say for me personally, I work a lot. As a therapist, I, you know, I'm always open, you know, I've got a husband, I've got kids. I like to have space where I can just sort of shut all of that off. And I get that where I live. I don't feel like I have the same opportunities to go and connect with other people just in a community way, except when I leave my immediate suburban community. There's just, or unless I create those opportunities, I don't ever really feel that I can walk out my door in the town I live in and just without a lot of effort on my part to create it, have opportunities to connect with people. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) Esther, could I like you more? (laughs) Like, when are we going to go have this spa day that we're talking about? Oh, you know, so here's some, so 
So first of all, I join with you. I empathize with you in that. I feel it. I feel you. I share some similar experiences in what you're describing. I'll be very vulnerable and say to me, living in the suburbs has been excruciatingly lonely for me and isolating. So I spend a lot of time in the city. I'll also say to you, Erica, I appreciate you bringing in um, an introverted point of view. And I'll also say to you, I too think it's very valuable for me when I I'll give myself permission to shut off as somebody who's more extroverted. And I do, I really, but here's a distinction. I am, I actually like to go out in San Francisco by myself on Friday nights. Very strange. I know. (laughs) I actually feel more at ease being alone among people who I have this felt sense could and would make space for all of my inside diversity, the diversity that lives inside of me if I needed it. Versus going out alone in my small town where I don't fully feel that there is space or room for all of my inside diversity if I wanted or needed it. So even in that moment of being extremely internal, there is an impact on me and how I move through the world. And I think about polyvagal theory, which is that Stephen Porges, you know, concept that we have this vagus nerve and we are picking up things in our nervous system all day long. And the thing that our nervous system most wants to feel in order to feel regulated, in order to feel calm and, and sort of like we're firing on all cylinders is a sense of belonging. And I think the distinction you bring up is so important, Erica, because I don't actually think belonging always happens in the talking or in the big openness. I think sometimes belonging is just a felt sense. I feel like I belong here and not by any sort of major act that of my own. I'd love to hear from both of you on what the heck to do about this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the only answer is for you to move back to the city. (laughs) Back to the city for you. Yeah, and I'd love to hear if there are people that end up listening to this conversation that we're having. I'd love to, I don't, is there a comment section underneath some of your podcasts? Yes. So people can comment and then, and they can also just, you know, like on Facebook and Twitter and basically anywhere on social media if they, you know, just tag us. And, but there is a comment section because I would love to hear what other people think as well. And I think, I mean, Erica, you're right. Like it definitely has the, there's some room here for us to be divisive, but I think it's just an interesting conversation about, about the sense of belonging and community. Well, so I think belonging at at, at the outset is what heals us all, you know, whether it's in a therapist's office or it's in our community. I've been thinking more and more about my role as a psychotherapist since Sidewalk Talk started And I've been interested in how I've tried to get sidewalk talk going in my small suburban town and it's fallen flat. I, it, you know, when I post it on, when I post really anything on my kids' schools listserv, we're doing a a video project where we're interviewing mothers about their hardest moments as a mother. I think because it's a suburban environment where there's that safety piece, I think there are social consequences. There's a threat to your community if you challenge that community. And we're feeling it even right now in this conversation, we're feeling like maybe we're being divisive by, 
by actually just trying to get really conscious about something that goes on. But I actually think it's important to get conscious about it and do so in a way that's kind and respectful and curious. I think, though, that when we live in suburbs, we have to know that it has an impact on the small town where people don't feel safe enough to really be all of themselves, that that sense of belonging perhaps isn't as much there as we might have thought. And I'll tell you, I can't tell you how many private emails I get from women in this town yeah. that want to talk to me because they know that they can about the real truth of what's going on in their lives. And they tell me that they can't talk to anyone else about it. I too get those emails and phone calls and, you know, and, and I've lived here for a really long time. I mean, my kids are in bed. The last one is on to her senior year. So, I mean, I've lived here a long time and been through all of the schools, elementary, middle, or high school. And I get that I continue to get those emails. I Every now and again, I'll get a call or a note from somebody who, or just bump into somebody who will pull me aside and say, you know, I remember when our, when our boys were in second grade together, my son's 20. Wow. <laughs> but there is something about expressing that. And I think it, as you were talking, I thought about Erica, you wrote a blog post recently and the title just keeps, I mean, everything in it is good, but the title kept sticking with me. But the idea that it's okay to not be okay. Mm-hmm. And, and is mm-hmm. that true? Do we all feel that that's true wherever it is that we live? Mm-hmm. That nobody will judge us so harshly or that we will no longer belong in this community if there is something wrong, however minor or major that something is, you know, be it a bad day, be it, you know, trouble in your marriage, a, you know, a kid who's not doing well, and how that impacts our ability or our willingness to reach out, whatever that looks like, you know, for some of us, that's, yeah. you know, it's having lots of people to talk to. For some of us, it's it's having one person or just to sort of, but to feel like that's an acceptable thing. You know. Are you going to put a link to Erica's piece? I will. Comments? Yeah, because okay, good. good stuff. Because I want to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. you know, this conversation has been incredibly healing for me. So I appreciate how we wound up here. So I just want to say thank you to both of you. <laughs> yeah, they ha- they have a way of um, wandering to where they need to be. We come in with our plans and ideas, but these conversations certainly have a way of, of going somewhere we didn't anticipate and being becoming interesting. So, yeah. yeah, everybody should just get their own podcast and, you know, it'd be great. Basically. It's like therapy out in public, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's a, li- a little bit, but I feel like it's a good... <laughs> It's a good thing that that's been my other sort of back of head thing is, you know, therapy is and should be a private thing. I mean, that's part of what makes it it work. But there's always this piece of me that, you know, how do we make a little bit of what's private public so people know how good it is, like how beneficial it is to just talk through and and feel your way through whatever it is that's going on for you personally. Yeah. Well, Tracy, we are not going to keep you forever, although I really want to have you back on because, well, frankly, because you're doing lots of things and there's lots of interesting stuff to talk about. One of which is the video project about moms, which I've seen and I, you know, I saw some information on. And I think that would be a whole nother conversation that would be really interesting for us to have at some point. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And it was really nice for me to get to know the both of you. It feels great to have some other 
potential kindreds that I can uh, come play with and do some fun stuff with when I come out to DC. Definitely. Yeah. We need to get that on the calendar very soon. That would be a lot of fun and just good stuff. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, everybody should make sure that they get over to, I think the best place is Psyched, the Psyched website. So psychedinsanfrancisco.com. And I think from there, you can find everything that you need to know about Tracy, all the projects she's working on, and basically where to find her because she's always kind of up and ready to listen. Well put. (laughs) (laughs) Except to my kids sometimes, but that's a conversation for another time. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. That's a a side conversation that maybe we can have off air. My kids have the same complaint. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great day. So all of our suburban clients are going to leave us. (laughs) (laughs) Possibly. Although I have a sneaking suspicion that, um, Many of our suburban clients might find something that they resonated with and, in fact, start calling our office because um, we we get it. Uh, yeah, it's just – it's something that's been on my mind for a while and I haven't hadn't really articulated it very clearly. Um, so this is a good conversation for me anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think – so my relationship to the, you know, suburbs is kind of complicated because, you know, I live in the city – but I work in the suburbs and I I like working in the suburbs. Like I like that I don't go to like downtown DC every day as much as people give me grief about my hour long commute. Um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, well, if I were going into the city, I'd probably take public transportation, but it would be crazy making in other ways. I don't, I, I feel like I kind of sit more in the middle, like, I really, I like living in the city. I like, really, I like eating in the city is is the thing. I like restaurants. Well, so. that is the best thing in the city. That's actually the thing that I probably <laughs> live here for more than anything else. And the architecture. I mean, I like old houses. But I do like the convenience of the suburbs. Like, you know, it's great to, you know, pull into a parking spot 10 feet from the door. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing, not, you know, especially if it's raining and snowing. I mean, don't get me wrong. There are, clearly, I live out here. There are plenty of benefits and really great things. And, you know, being at at the tail end of sort of actively raising kids, you know, I don't regret my decision to to do that in the suburbs. Like, I, I think it's cool. And in my mind, I would have loved to have been like that city mom, but I don't really have the temperament for that. <laughs> I need to be able to park up front and I need, you know, like I, I like some of what we and like kind of we commute in. But I do think and maybe I would enjoy your setup living in the city and working in the suburbs because I think there's a lot of good stuff out here. And I think there are lots of benefits to the structure. The community is very structured and very planned mm-hmm. in the suburbs. And right. I think that that there's some benefits to that for people of all life stages, not just for families, but I think for, for lots of people, there's good stuff there. And certainly it's a different pace of life, but there is this nagging part of me. And it's interesting because, you know, Tracy and I talk about quite a number of things um, because I, you know, work with sidewalk talk and we've never really had this conversation. Um, So it was interesting to hear someone else, with a different background and, you know, kind of in a different place, 
saying some of the things that I also notice and think about. Well, and I also, you know, to sort of talk about the flip side of it, like I could see very much how someone would be very comforted by the sort of sameness of the suburbs that there is, you know, I'm sure some people are quietly going insane, but (laughs) I'm sure there are other people who feel comforted by, you know, that there are certain expectations, that there are certain you know, people are kind of grouped together by class and by race and by religious belief at times, if you're kind of centered around a church community. And I'm sure there are people who legitimately find that very comforting. And I don't, I don't think anything is wrong with that in and of itself. Yeah. And I don't either. I think what I'm struggling with is at times it feels like that somehow then excludes some of these other things, this other kind of openness to diversity and to you know, having a broader sense of community and connection. But I don't think those things have to be or should be mutually exclusive. I think that you can have some of that, that sameness and structure and, and seek out a a community that is similar to you in in values or in lifestyle. I, I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, I can understand and appreciate and even share the sentiment that that is a nice way to live. It just. It does feel, however, that there is, it requires a lot more effort, a lot more intentionality to then also expand your circle or maybe just expand your perspective to include people who are not the same, mm-hmm. to be open to other ways of being and open, you know, and, and to feel a certain level of comfort with people who are not like you, who in terms of, of all kinds of things, not just culturally or really racially, but education or economics or just overall like lifestyle and how they kind of, there's value in also being aware of all of the different ways people choose to live life. Right. And I think no, that's absolutely. what, gets, I think that's the piece that I, I struggle with is that it being, it's very easy to not, to unconsciously separate yourself from people who aren't like you when your primary community is so, so much the same. Yeah, no, I, I that totally makes sense. I think, I mean, I think in some ways, it's interesting, I'm about to sort of split myself in two here. I think, you know, that's a challenge in the city as well. So I would say, you know, the friends that we've made, we've, so we've lived in the area for eight years, but we've lived in this, in the city itself for about five. And it's it's so we have friends who like come from a very diverse like all kinds of different i would say like ethnic and social backgrounds although probably more very more similar economic backgrounds like i don't think there's a ton of economic diversity in our social circle and i think you have to work a lot harder at that but we've also noticed that so both my husband and I are black, as Esther knows, but the podcast people might not know. And one of the things we've struggled with is feeling like we don't have enough black friends, where we throw parties and there's like one other black person besides us. And we sort of miss that sameness, that it's great to have all this diversity. And, you know, we've got friends from different parts of the world and all kinds of stuff. But, you know, certainly there's something to be said for talking to someone who comes from a similar cultural background as you. And, you know, it's like, I don't want to, 
I don't want to not have black friends. I mean, I have black friends, obviously, but sometimes <laughs> I sometimes it feels like that actually I have to work harder at to make friends with people who look more like me and have more sort of shared experiences as me. I never thought I'd be like advocating for like sameness. Like that wasn't my life plan for the day, but <laughs> but here I we feel are. like I have to sort of like say like the city is great, but maybe not as great as as you're romanticizing it to be. Well, and there, I think there's always going to be that piece of it too, right? You know, we it's easy to romanticize wherever you aren't. Um, so right. I'm sure that there's that piece, but it's in, it's interesting to hear you say that because so from that standpoint, oh, and we totally should have asked Tracy about this because obviously you and I both are black, but Tracy is white. So I would say in the suburbs, in some ways, it's easier for me to make friends or to connect with people in a broad sense of just about every minority, but definitely black people, because there is less racial diversity. Mm. And so it almost becomes this instinctual thing. You notice there's another black family. Let's go introduce ourselves. Let's go, you know, I mean, because there are some things that come out of sameness, right? You know, where are you getting your hair done? Mm (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, I think particularly within a black community, you know, church tends to be unifying factor, a unifying factor. So there'll be questions about, you know, where do you go to church or things like that. And so it's interesting because I think that that's probably, that is the one place where I would say that is, while it is challenging because the number of minorities out here is fewer when we minorities see each other. Black people see each other, black people talk to each other out in right. the suburbs. Like it doesn't, and even not necessarily my suburb, right? Like I can go to another suburb 30 minutes from where I actually live and still have that same experience. Oh, absolutely. Kind of like, you're like, oh, where are you from? Right. But if I see a black person on the train, I'm not going to be like, hey. Hey. <laughs> right. <laughs> sort of like. Well, we're not the only, you know, we're not the only two on the train, probably. Right. Yeah. Well, and that gets into like the rules of black people that, you know, if you're not black or, and I don't know how that works. Actually, I don't know how it works in other minority cultures, but basically the rule is the fewer black people there are, the more you're sort of expected to acknowledge whatever black person is around. Like Mm -hmm. if I'm, if I work at I don't know, some big company, if I work at Google and like there are five black people, like the expectation is when we see each other, we will speak to each other and we don't have to be friends, but we have to acknowledge like, hey, you're another black person in this very white environment. You exist and I exist. Hi. Yeah, it's sort of- But when there are lots of black people, you don't have, you know, you're not going to constantly do that every day, all day. No, and I guess maybe that's the, and maybe that, begins to highlight the piece that I think happens with sameness, right? Like, so in an environment where we are all the same racially, I stop, that stops being a factor of like creating community. So it's only if I notice some, there's some other thing, right? Like if, so if it's a lot of black people, but there's only two women, those two women, you know, hopefully we're more likely to kind of reach out or at least acknowledge each other. Right. But you know, as Tracy pointed out, like there's this whole other level of diversity in terms, like internally, in terms of like our value system or even things that aren't necessarily immediately obvious, like education that we can't see. And so if presumably we're the same because we can afford the same 
to live in the same neighborhood. So we're the same socioeconomically, we're the same, you know, kind of racially, let's say, then it requires intention to connect on these other levels that I just don't think happens as much, maybe, Mm -hmm. in the suburbs. I don't know. I have to keep thinking about that. Yeah, I mean, I really like what she said about sort of the internal diversity, because that piece is important. And I think that, you know, we have these roles that we have in work and in our lives. And there are always parts of ourselves that are harder, harder to find an outlet for that expression or harder to get our needs met. And I can certainly see how, you know, being in the suburbs, it caters to a particular set of needs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, where the emphasis on, is on sort of family and kids and, you know, certain like bigger social structures. But, you know, if you have a little like, I don't know, punk band heart, that might be harder to get that need met. Yeah, it's sort of hard because when you start to let that out, you are challenging the very thing that in some ways we all moved out here for, right? Which is that sense (laughs) of stability and consistency. And like, this is it. This is kind of what we all want to be doing. And so letting those inner kind of, you know, quirks and and diverse interests really come out is in some ways challenging the status quo. And we know nobody likes to challenge the status quo. No, nobody even likes when you that. don't like the status quo, we don't. You still sort of resist. No one wants to rock the boat, I guess. Right. No one wants to rock the boat. Yeah. Well, it's been a very interesting chat. RLW, do you have something a good? I do. Oh, exciting! I do. I do actually. So I am in the process. I'm almost done of reading a book called "What Is Not Yours Is Not Yours." And it's by Helen, I am going to butcher her last name, but I believe you say Oyemi, Oyemi, not quite sure how to say her last name, Okay. but the book is called What is, What is Not Yours is Not Yours. And it's actually, it's essentially a series of short stories and it is just gorgeous. I mean, it's sort of like falling down a rabbit hole of of fairy tales where the only thing familiar is sort of the truest, deepest parts of ourselves. I like the best book review ever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't even know how else to describe the book. It's just like the story structures themselves seem, seem outlandish in some ways, or uh, maybe outlandish is too strong of a word, but certainly unusual. But then there are these like nuggets of just wisdom and connection that are just amazing. So I'm, this is the first book I've read by this author, but I am planning to read more and she's young. She's in her, she's in her thirties. So it's very exciting to see someone doing that kind of work, especially being so young. Cause she can have a very long writing career ahead of her. Yeah. But yeah, what is not yours is not yours. I highly recommend it. It sounds I'm excited. I yeah, and you know I'm I'm headed on vacation soon. Yes. <laughs> that sounds like a really good uh vacation read. So, I'm looking forward to that. And hopefully you'll actually take a vacation and not do a bunch of work. Well, 
If not, I will squeeze in some reading. That's a vacation, right? (laughs) (laughs) Kind of, sort of. Sort of, kind of, maybe. All right. Well, I feel like in some ways, you know, Tracy and I went on and on about our uh, suburban therapist problems, but (laughs) do we have other more specific therapist problems? Do I have a city therapist problem? (laughs) I don't think so. I know. I mean, I have ran into a couple of my clients, but it was never, it was always fine. It was never a big issue. Never. Yeah, I know. I think, right, I think lately our biggest therapist problem is not enough listener problems. (laughs) We need you guys to comment, I don't know, message us on some form of social media, email. Send yeah, a smoke signal, things. something. But send us your thoughts, even if it's not necessarily a problem. Maybe you just got a question for us or a comment or something you want us to talk about. Send it in and we will save this little chunk of time just for you. Yes, indeed. All right. Well, it's been fun as it always is. And I think with all of that being said, we're done today. All right. All right. Don't forget to subscribe and rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, If you are not an Apple user, you can find us on Stitcher, which is available on your Android phones and devices. It's a good app. Um, I actually have it on my iPhone too. Hmm. Um, But yeah, you can check out either estherboykin.com backslash podcast and also conversationsoffthecouch.com backslash podcast, which is a great place to find out about some of our events and coaching services and lots of other things that we do outside of the therapy office, including this podcast. All right. All right. Well, until next time. Thanks for listening. 